Galatians 5, it's page 1172, if you've got the church Bibles there. And we're going to read from verse 13. So that's Galatians 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for his letters to the Galatian church and others. And we ask this morning, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to learn to walk with you, to be guided by you, and in so doing, love one another. Amen. So, um, for those of you who were here last week or watched the recording, um, we spent some time reflecting on two images that Paul uses when he's talking about the remarkable and miraculous change of state when someone becomes a Christian. We said last week that a new believer experiences a rebirth, and it's a fundamental change in identity. 
And what happens is that as a believer, our status shifts. We become adopted into God's family. And so today we turn our attention to say, okay, what's next? I'm reborn, I'm adopted into God's family, what's next? What does that mean for the way that we now live and behave now that I'm a child of God and that you're my brother and you're my sister and whether you like it or not, I'm yours? How does that affect now how we live together. And Galatians 5, as I'm sure many of you know, is a very, very famous passage. It looks good on a, on a, on a poster, doesn't it? The fruit of the Spirit, the kind of thing. Those of you who went to Sunday school probably uh, made banners with this kind of thing on. Um, it's, but it's an eminently practical section of this letter, and it particularly speaks to this topic. You know, given that we're new creations, it's unthinkable to Paul, it's unthinkable that that shouldn't come with some kind of shift of behavior. That's not the means by which we gain salvation, but it's unthinkable to him that if we're all made new, if we're children of God, that somehow we could just carry on as we were before. There's an expectation in Paul that the way we behave with one another should be different. It's kind of basic point, isn't it? It should be different. He says this in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. The old is gone and the new is here. So we're thinking about the new this morning. What does the new look like? If we go back to the beginning of this story, we will see that right at the beginning in that creation narrative, God intended to create people in his image. That's what it says in the scriptures. We're made in his image. And when God gives Moses the law in Exodus, he does so in order that his chosen people might reflect his nature, might reflect his nature to the world by the way that they lived together. That was always the plan. That's in Exodus 19. That was the point of the Ten Commandments. It was a guide to how to live together in community. So for Paul, the work of the Spirit is intimately connected to his understanding of the law, actually. The law. And what the law has now become because of Christ. And if you read through the letters of Paul, you'll see that one of the dominant themes in his letters is how Christ has come to fulfill the law, but also begin a new covenant relationship with his people and his people with one another. He has an entirely new perspective now, Paul, on what it means. Now that he's accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he has a new perspective on the law. He says at the beginning of our passage, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law fulfilled. So the fact that Christians are reborn and that we're adopted into this family means for Paul that we now need to live together live with one another in a way that's contrary to the normal way that human beings live if they're given their own choices. We are supposed to be different as a community, special. We're supposed to be different. And that, of course, was always God's intention right at the beginning of the Bible. That was the whole point of Israel was that it would be a family that showed the character of God through the way they lived together. That's what the Ten Commandments were all about. And you can read more in Romans 8 about why that didn't work. <laughs> so our passage is 
what happens or what should happen when spirit-filled believers, children of God, do life together? What should that look like? Our love for each other should be palpable, should be palpable, different, different. And through this love is how we identify ourselves as a community of priests, which is what the Israelites were called in Exodus, a community of priests, a community who live in such a distinctive way that the nature of God is revealed to those who do not yet know him. That's our call. It's a collective call. And may I say that there's a lot of kind of individualistic thinking in the Western church. Quite a few of the songs that we sing are about I, my relationship with Jesus, me. It's an us thing. It's not an I thing. It's an us thing. Paul's guidance for the Galatian church, and therefore for us as well, is that we should live together by the Spirit. So notice in verse 25 here, the emphasis is on the plural. He says, we, we should live by the Spirit. We, and should keep in the step, step with the Spirit or walk as an us. We walk together. We walked together. So that lovely illustration of the children walking together, but imagine that group of us guiding one another down this winding path, trying to avoid obstacles. That is the picture that Paul gives us. The fruit of the Spirit is not just a call to personal holiness. It's about community living. It's a community fruit. We are fruit in a bowl. Some of us are maybe strangely shaped. But we belong together. We are fruit in a bowl. So, let's look at our passage. Paul talks about two things. He talks about the acts of the flesh, and he talks about the fruit. And you can't separate those two. You've got to see them in parallel with one another. You can't just look at the fruit, because one illustrates the other, actually. So, if we look at them together this morning, we should note that Paul is talking about a conflict of two sets of behaviors. You've got the fruit from verse 22 onwards, but then you've got the acts of the flesh, which is in verse 19. And they, and they clash these two things. Which is why the verse 22 begins with the word but, because he set out the acts of the flesh first and then he goes to the fruit. Paul is framing two alternative choices, a binary choice about how people can choose to live together. And he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. And I think no less so today than in first century Galatia. And when he lists the act of the flesh, it's not supposed to be an exhaustive list of everything that humans get wrong. He says, and the like, in verse 21. He's just giving some examples of corrosive behaviors that dismantle community. So we look at those list of vices. What's, where's the emphasis? Well, it's about damaged community. He talks about discord. He talks about jealousy. He talks about dissension and factions. And these are all natural consequences of corrupted communities, when things break apart. It's what happens when people live together without the influence of the Spirit in their lives. Because human beings are naturally self-serving. And I think looking at the news gives us lots of examples of that. It's what happens when the spirit is not involved in a community. You know, we don't need to look far in our world, do we, to see the truth of this. You know, without the influence of the spirit in our lives, people and community tend towards discord, dissension, faction. 
You know, although we are originally made for community, the story of human beings is one of mutual description and strife. Left unchecked, the human tendency to gratify the desires of the flesh, which often means satisfying the self before others, and that leads to broken community. It leads to strife. It leads to warfare, destruction, and pain. The law given in Exodus was designed as a blueprint to help people live together in community. And clearly, if people in community don't murder and don't steal or don't lie, that you, what you get is a more cohesive existence. That was the whole point of the law. But what the law was unable to do was change human hearts. It was unable to change human hearts. It could not bring about righteous living because such a thing is only possible when the Spirit of Christ brings his power to bear in our lives. So, Paul then gives us the fruit of the Spirit, this collective fruit, which is an antidote to the acts of the flesh that describes earlier on. So, for Paul, a believer should be identical by the way that they live in community with one another. That should be our identity. You should be able to tell a believer because of the way they love the people that they coexist with. That's an identity marker. The logic goes that if we are reborn and adopted in God's family, then we must go about our daily lives as though we're in God's family. That's how it works. You know, the fruit of the Spirit isn't a blueprint for individual holiness. It's a list of qualities that will lead people in a community to walk together in love and harmony. And in so doing, stand apart from the default mode of community that the world sees. And we should notice as well that the fruit is not an unrealistic ideal. It has an inbuilt ethical realism, to quote Gordon Fee. An inbuilt ethical realism. It's not an impossible sketch of perfection. If you look at verse 25, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And our graphic, that's the, the theme of our season at the moment, to keep in step with the Spirit. The image of one is walking, putting one foot in front of another, journeying together and doing our best with each step to remain sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit in those moments when our natural human instinct is to bite each other's heads off which if you look at verse 15 is exactly what was going on in the church of Galatia. If we look at some of those virtues for a moment, some of those fruit, they're interesting. Forbearance, which is a good alternative to patience, I think. Forbearance. There would be no need forbearance or for gentleness if none of us ever got anything wrong, if we never upset one another. You know, there's a realism to the fruit, isn't there? There is going to be times when we're going to have to be patient with one another. We're going to have to love each other even when we're not being particularly lovable. And we're going to have to be gentle with each other when we get things wrong. You know, this isn't an unrealistic call for human perfection. It's not about being a kind of a monk. You know, Paul knows it's a battle. He calls it a conflict in verse 17. He's clear that this is a community battle, something that we do together and only with the Spirit's help. So when Paul mentions peace, He doesn't really mean sitting quietly by a lake and meditating. 
There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with mindfulness, and there's nothing wrong with, you know, being able to find peace in myself, but that's not really what he means here. He means peace between, peace between, being peacemakers. It's the opposite of strife and discord, which we get earlier in the passage. It means having peace between us. It's a community fruit, being at peace with one another. We should therefore actively pursue peace together and look for peace whenever discord begins to rear its ugly head. That's what defines us as children of God. Forbearance is better than patience. Why? Because sometimes it's really hard to love each other, isn't it? It's really hard to love each other, particularly if we're called to love people in this community who we find really annoying or difficult. I'm not, I don't think, a naturally patient person. That may surprise you, uh, but I don't think I am. I don't think it's a gift of mine. Um, There are times when I can be pretty intolerant, I think. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me cultivate the fruit of forbearance. Forbear with someone who I find difficult is a gift of the Spirit. And it's what we're called to do as believers. And it's difficult. Do you know why? Because it's contrary to our natural human instincts. It's contrary to our natural human instincts. God the Father has always desired that his children live together in such a way that his goodness is made known to all people. That's the point. And it's no accident, therefore, that the list here begins with love. The first fruit, love. And as we know from 1 John 4, love is God's chief defining characteristic. The first fruit. And it's from that first fruit that all the others flow. And the challenge is that the human heart does not naturally pivot towards love, joy, peace, forbearance. It's self-serving. Even the idea of love has been redefined in our culture as something driven by feeling. It's self-serving rather than a sacrifice that you make for somebody else. That's what it's meant by love. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and to demonstrate to us what it looks like when human beings behave as children of God. The list of fruit are, of course, an accurate description of Jesus' nature, aren't they? They're an accurate description of Jesus' nature. And that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus, we're told, is in very nature God, Philippians 2. And the spirit of Jesus is given to us. And it makes us possible to live out in a community the will of the Father. And by doing that, to reflect his glory. And how good it is that we are given help to walk the fruitful path of Christ together. We need the help, don't we? We need the help. We're called to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk together. And the Spirit of Christ walks with us. And he will guide our steps and give us the power and strength to make difficult choices and decisions that conflict with our natural human instincts. That's what it means to be a believer. It's not a personal pilgrimage of piety. It's a call to live as a radical community, as a family, reborn and adopted believers, walking together, carrying each other's burdens. What a wonderful image that is. Carrying each other's burdens, forbearing with one another when we are difficult, 
gentle with one another when we get it wrong. Kind and good in our words and actions towards one another and to love one another above all. That's the kind of community that I long to be a part of. It's the kind of family. And when that's done right, it draws people towards God. And that is our mission. You know, as our church this morning, as a family, let's walk together. Let's walk together by the power of his spirit. And in so doing, let's demonstrate God's love, God's peace and his justice in a world that desperately needs to see it. And this is how we do it. We're fruit in a bowl, you and I. So let's walk together. Amen.